This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 91, St. Elmo's Fire Movie Review. I'm Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers. This is Pop Goes Your World. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can find us at C McBrien or at Amaron underscore DM. You'll also find us at popgoesyourworld.com. Derek, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you doing this week? Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I can't complain. I've gone back to school. Uh, uh, well, if you can't complain, then that's a good thing. <laughs> yep, yep. I can't. No one listens to me anyway. So uh, how about uh, in the world of pop culture, anything uh, new and exciting in your world? Uh, well, I wouldn't go as far as to say exciting, but uh, I have had access to some movie preview, some movie channels through my cable subscription, free oh, previews nice. to channels I wouldn't normally have because they cost extra money. And uh, are, are, watching... these, are these naughty movies or how is this working? No, 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 no. Oh, Just okay, these right. are like uh, classic. I think the one that they're giving me now is called the Rewind Channel. So it has like old TV shows, as you know, because I gave you the heads up about Charlie's Angels. Oh, yes. And uh, it also does old movie, old, well, old by you know today's standard. Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this. So I watched a yes. movie from 1980, 1980. that I had okay. I'd always wanted to see. I'd never seen it before. It's a okay. comedy. All right. It was. So I'm gonna ask you a trivia question, sure. and the answer will be the title of this movie. Gotcha. In 1980, yep. The top grossing movie was The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, by yes. a long shot. It was almost three, it, at the time it made almost 300 million in in, in 1980. So. The next couple of movies on the list, uh, can you name, what do you think rounded out the top three, top four, top five of 1980, highest grossing movies? Oh my gosh, The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I bet you they would all, okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that I bet you they were all a lot of comedies. Because we're, uh, we're talking like, yes. you know, the Blues Brothers was out that year, Airplane came out that year, Stir Airplane Crazy. Stir Crazy is the one. That's oh, yes. The movie. So Stir Crazy, yeah. depending on which list you look at, was either the number three or the number four top grossing movie of 1980. Right. Uh, and so, again, I'm looking at a list here. It's got the numbers. And so it has Empire Strikes Back, made almost $300 million, uh, the year it came out. And then, like, the next three or four movies all made around $100 million. Mm -hmm. Stir Crazy being, uh, again, either number three or number four made just over $100 million. Okay. Uh, as as I'm sure you know, it stars Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Uh, yes. uh, I love that movie. I've never seen it. You, well, well, hold on. Hold on a second. You've never seen it? I've never seen it in its entirety. Okay, so we're, we're definitely going to go back and watch this movie at some point in the future. So I watched it this week. Okay. Oh, you did? My, oh, perfect. So that's that's my, you know, what did you watch in the pop culture world? That, that was it. Stir crazy. Oh, nice. uh, it definitely, Gross burger. Yes. It, it definitely, uh, like, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as much ha-ha, laugh-out-loud comedy as I was expecting, but right. there were certainly a lot of parts that made me laugh. You could really tell the chemistry between Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, and so from what good. I was reading, a lot of that was sort of ad-libbed when they were shooting. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, it... Uh, it wasn't their first movie together. Their first movie was, was Silver Streak. And the, the yeah. chemistry was so strong that then they got this comedy. Silver Streak was more of like a, a drama, kind of a whodunit kind of movie. And then they came up with Stir Crazy. I really liked Stir Crazy a lot. That movie, yeah. it, I liked that movie a lot. And then they, of course, did uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil after that. But uh, anyway, go ahead. 
Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I watched Stir Crazy. I enjoyed it. Uh, I wouldn't give it an A plus, but I was glad I, I watched it. Great. I don't necessarily think I need to watch it a second time unless you ask me to do so for an upcoming podcast. But, or we could just review uh, it. We could talk about it. That'd be good. Sure. Yep. Uh, we don't have to do that tonight. But no, anyway, no, no. I just want to let you know that's that's what I watched this week. Uh, nice. I'm also in the process of binge watching um, Game of Thrones, and I'm firing through those episodes as fast as I. I mean, I've seen them before, but I'm sort of refreshing because the final season is coming in a couple of months, and I want to be completely up to date. So that's sort of had my pop culture ear for the uh, for the last week. And how about you? Last week we recommended some shows. Did you start watching any of them? So, so, so funny that you ask. So, so last week, uh, Justin uh, Mason was on the show and recommended that I wa- start watching The West Wing. And you recommended that I started watching. Well, you, you, I should clarify. Justin recommended a number of shows. I chose The West Wing of all the shows that he nominated. And of all the shows that you suggested to me, I picked Big Mouth. And I actually started watching both. So West Wing is going to be difficult because now Justin said to me, if I watch the first three episodes and I don't like it, he and I can no longer be friends. <laughs> and yes. and the, here's the thing is I've watched two episodes so far and I really like it. Okay, <laughs> the show's good. I'm like, I was wow. worried there. Okay. No, no, it's really good. The problem is my wife thinks it's boring. Yeah. So then I'm like, and it's a problem because we got to watch it together. So I'm like, well, we got to watch the West. I don't want to watch that. I'm like, ah, oh, man. So, but the other one I started to watch was Big Mouth. Oh, Derek. Derek, I love this show so oh, much. Oh, good. Oh, God, I love that show. You were oh, not going to enjoy oh, it. Oh, man, it is so, so funny. So to put things in perspective, I've only, I've only Wait, watched did you watch two. It myself, did you watch it with your wife? No, we watched it together. I watched Big it with my wife. So watch the first episode. Loved it. Watched the second episode. Loved it. And then uh, this is a, a mark of how much I love the, the, the show. I go to bed. I crawl in bed. I go to sleep. My wife goes to sleep. I start laughing. I'm not, I'm not asleep yet. It just as I'm falling asleep, I'm thinking about the show and thinking about certain things. And I just start laughing so much that I'm shaking the bed. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm thinking about the show. She's like, just stop. Go to sleep. And I just keep laughing and laughing because I it just I couldn't get out of my head. It Big Mouth is so funny. Oh, my God. The And the thing that I always like random bizarre things that just come out of nowhere and the scene that got me was in the second episode when uh the lead two lead characters i don't remember call their names i've only seen two episodes uh and they're kind of like going out together they're they're really uncomfortable because it's all about going through puberty and the thing is it's the show is so relatable you know like who hasn't been through that right and the, the the boy and the girl are kind of like going out and then they're not going out. They're not really sure. They kissed and they're not sure. And then everyone's around like, oh, so are you guys like a couple? Are you a couple? And then all of a sudden there's randomly on this tree, this little ladybug and the ladybug goes, yeah. And I just lost my mind. I just, I don't know why that struck me as being so funny. And then later, the, 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 the back of the bus comes and the guy comes up on the wheelchair and the ladybug's on his shoulder. And he's like, yeah, I hitched a and I just like, I just lost my mind. It was so funny because it's just so random. So, oh man, I'm so glad that you nominated that show. Okay. I'm, I'm just glad you enjoyed it because, you oh, know, sometimes with God, you, we're funny. on the exact same page. And I other know. times I say, this is a great movie. And you're like, I think the movie was terrible. Oh, so, man. I'm I glad just, you enjoyed it. Oh, God, it's so funny and so relatable on so many levels. And that, and then, and then that scene with the, what, what's, it's like the hormone monster. <laughs> and, yeah. and then it comes to life. And then the, the kid goes, are, are, are you the puberty fairy? He's like, I don't I mean, I 
but whatever. You know, like it's just I'm like, oh my god, it's so funny. Oh man, oh man, oh man, it was something else. Um, anyway, so are you ready to get into our movie this week? Absolutely. All right, here we go. I am a super nerd. Dude, I don't know how you didn't get more girls in high school. Or guys, for that matter. I got no... <laughs> Nothing. You're to a gay man. Just club them over the head and drag them yeah. Oh, my, my, my. And I play a lot of Dungeons & Dragons. You're not a nerd. Oh, they, women I, love them. Well, yeah, they do, but they're all nerdy women, so... The Fawns is 73 years old. Raiders of the Lost Ark is basically Steven Spielberg giving a master's class on how to make a movie. I found a Fonzie shirt that I want <laughs> I for Christmas. I saw it, yeah. And my wife was like, you're not getting that. Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> okay, I'm finished. Okay, so it was funny enough, it was you, actually, Derek, that mentioned that we should go back and watch the 1985 uh, sort of Gen X classic, St. Elmo's Fire. So do you want to start us off with this? Maybe just talk about why you wanted to uh, to, to review this movie, kind of the, the reason sure. for that, and we'll just kind of go from there. Okay, so building on what I said a few minutes ago, I've got these... Movie, these movie channels running these older movies. I'm getting to see movies that I've always wanted to see and have never had an opportunity to do so, or I'm getting to rewatch my favorite movies. St. Almost Fire is one of those movies that everyone kept saying, oh, you're going to love it. You got to watch it. It's a seminal movie. It's a pivotal movie. It's a Gen X classic, and I've never seen it. And I actually didn't really know anything about it. And so I thought, this is my chance to watch it. And then a couple of weeks ago, I told you, I watched it, and I started to give you some of my thoughts on it. And you said, you know what? Save this. Let's do a podcast on this. So uh, I know that uh, this movie, ho- you know, holds a good, uh, a near and dear place in your heart. Why don't you tell me about it from your point of view first, and okay. then I'll let you know what I thought about uh, it coming I, I, to it as good. a as a, a Gen Xer, but as someone who is only seeing it for the very first time in 2019. Okay. So the one thing that I want to just just make note of because you made this point to me, and I just want you to share it is what you thought the movie was about. Before you got into oh, it, okay, okay. Just, just share, oh. just share with us. You, you, okay, you saw the title of the movie, and you're like, okay, this is what I think this movie's about. And okay, then- so uh, this is a little embarrassing for me, but hey, you know, you <laughs> no, can't I think make it's fun great. of your friends. Uh, who can you make fun of? So you're familiar with the movie The Big Chill. You've heard of this movie. You know this movie. Yeah, of course, of course. Okay, so I haven't seen that movie either. But I know that movie is about a funeral. It's about a group of friends that come together because one of their friends has died, and that's sort of what you know, the, the premise of the, the initial premise of that movie from what I've been told. And I was always under the impression that St. Elmo's Fire was a similar kind of movie. Something happens and these friends come together and whatever happens after that. So the movie's called St. Elmo's Fire. And on the poster of the movie, they're sitting outside of a bar that's called St. Elmo's. I always assumed the title was quite literal. The bar burns down. They come back, they share memories about all the great times they had at this bar, whatever. I just always assumed that was the setup for this movie because in my mind, it's for some reason, I've connected it to the big chill, which has this funeral. Again, I don't know how I made this connection, but I'd always assume that. And then while I'm watching the movie, I'm like, where is this thing going to burn down? Like, <laughs> Where's the where's fire? The fire. And then I realized like about halfway through, I'm like, it must not be a literal title. So I look at it and I'm like, oh, St. Almost Fire is an actual thing. I'm like, oh, like, hey, the things you learn, right? You got to learn yeah. something every day. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and then towards the end of the movie, they actually, in the dialogue, they talk about, well, St. Almost Fire right. is blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, well, that might have been a little more useful to know before I saw the movie. <laughs> and I got to wonder for people when the movie first came out, how many people made the same assumption I made and either thought, 
well, that's dumb. I'm not going to see it. Or went to see it and were disappointed because nothing burned down. So Right. It's like they go in expecting to see Backdraft. And then they're like, and hey, this is kind of a boring character study. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, so that's interesting. I think that's hilarious. Okay. So going back to your original question. So kind of what, what's my take on this? Okay. So this movie came out in 1985. I was 15 at the time. I didn't get a chance to see it because it was rated R. Okay. Uh, actually, I don't even know if it was rated R in the theater. Anyway, I do, I, I did not go see this in the movie theater when it came out. It was sort of more of an, more adult kind of, you know, movie with, you know, it had swearing and stuff like that in it. And so I saw it maybe a year or two later when it was on the movie channel, you know what I mean, on TV, and I watched it. And and so I was 17 at that point. I, I started to feel like I, I could almost relate to the characters in a way, thinking that, oh, I'm, you know, soon I'm going to be going off to college. I was coming out of high school. They were coming out of college, so they were a few years ahead, right? But there's still just, you know, there's some relatability to it. So I remember watching it. Now, this is like 30 years ago, right? Um, but I remember watching it, and I, and I enjoyed it, and, and, and I enjoyed it at the time, even though it's kind of boring. There's no fire, you know. Um, it's just really a character study with a bunch of different characters that are friends. And they're kind of hanging on to their friendship. They're trying to find their way. They get out of college. They trying to find a job, you know, trying to do all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was quite good. And I think I, I liked it too because it because it was a little bit ahead of where I was maturity-wise at the time. It felt like I was like, you know, a little naughty watching it in a way, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know, like this is a little bit over above my head, but, you know, I still tr struggled to relate to it. So I... Um, so I, I had fond memories of it. And I watched it more than once way back in the day on the movie channel. So I had fond memories of it. That being said, I went back and rewatched it for the first time in 30 years uh, last night. And, you know... One of the things on this podcast that always was, was that Yancey would always, you know, kind of, you know, be on top of me about these old movies like, oh, man, they don't hold up. You know, it's not cool in today's society and this and that. And I've got to say, this is one example where I'm going to be on the team Yancey here because this movie does not hold up. And there are some very troubling things in what happened in this movie, and I'm sure we're going to get into it tonight. So I'll yeah. just say that I, I liked the movie originally 30 years ago, but it doesn't hold up. Yeah, so uh, that was sort of my feeling as well. Uh, again, having never seen it and literally knowing nothing about what it was about, I, I felt that I could come to it fresh, almost like you would for a new movie today. And yeah, absolutely. There's a very uh, huge parts of this story are not do not hold up are not cool by today's standards one of the things i always like to do when i watch an older movie is sort of think to myself could you remake this movie today and if so how much would have to change or what would have to be updated and i mean you could certainly make a movie today about uh young people coming out of school and you know the facing the struggles and what are they going to do to get their lives started kind of thing but i i think a lot of the uh uh, challenges presented here and the way the characters deal with them would absolutely not fly by today's standards whatsoever. No, it, it certainly wouldn't. And watching it, I was filled with a lot of nostalgia, um, both good and bad. Good, I guess on one hand, I was filled with nostalgia because it had been 30 years since I saw this movie. And it, you know, I remember liking it, you know, back in the day. But also a lot of nostalgia in, boy, have things changed. The movie is incredibly dated. The 
you know, the hairstyles and the clothes yeah. and, and all that is, you know, incredibly dated. But the thing that's dated the most, and this is very interesting that it's this movie that does this, because Yancey and I have gone back and forth on a lot of movies. And he's like, you know what? That movie is, you know, like like like, he, like Revenge of the Nerds. And even you and I talked about 16 Candles being very, um, you know, it, it just doesn't hold up. There's a lot of very disturbing things in it, you know. But this movie is absolutely chock full of them, right from the beginning till the end of the movie that just... I can't believe that maybe maybe it was the times that, you know, that we lived in in 1985. I can't believe I didn't pick up on it as much then as I do now going back and looking at it. How actually disturbing um, a lot of the themes are in this movie. And I'm like I say, I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of them tonight. So I'm assuming you're going to agree with me on this. Yeah, 100 percent. Specifically, the one that jumped literally jumped right out. Well, I guess it didn't literally figuratively jumped out at me was Emilio Estevez's character. And his whole mm-hmm. storyline to me was 100 percent wrong. He is an A1 stalker bordering on like criminal behavior uh, just the things he did. So for maybe people haven't seen the movie in a while or have never seen it. Uh, the movie starts off, the characters go into the hospital. Uh, one of their friends has been in a, in a, a fender bender and he sees this woman in the hospital uh, who is now a doctor. And he remembers that he went out on a date with her when he was uh, in college a few years earlier. And he's just head over heels in love with her love at first sight kind of thing. But she clearly has no memory of him. Uh, and so he basically stalks her through the whole movie. He like continually calls her place of work to find out why, she, you know, is she there? When, what are her shifts? When is she coming in? He, uh, he, you know, eventually he goes into her apartment and like when she leaves the room, he sniffs her pillow. Uh, later in the movie, he, uh, he like follows her to someone's house where there's like a dinner party going on. And he's like peeping in the windows to try and see like who's there. And, and and who she's with and then like towards the end of the movie he he you know verbally badgers her roommate to find out where she's gone for the weekend oh she's gone away to this cabin with this other person and he drives all the way up there to like bombard uh you know to crash the scene and it's just like none of that is cool in fact that's some of that is criminal behavior like if that happened today this guy would be arrested he'd have a restraining order he'd have to have counseling like this is not cool yet the way they present it in the movie it's like oh he's in love and it's cool and at the end of the movie it's like oh well you know i tried and i didn't get the girl but i'm okay now my life will go on and it's like this is so wrong on so many levels and further to that the thing that got me at the end of that scene when he goes up to the cabin um and she obviously goes there she's with that other doctor you know he's he's really upset and then he he spends the night there and then gets up in the morning and then they got the, the doctor says let me go get the camera and I'll take a picture of you too. So he goes, and when he goes to get the camera, um, she gives him a little kiss on the cheek and he grabs her and, and, and sort of, you know, dips her down and then gives her a kiss. And then she comes back up. And then the way that they play it is that she is wondering, oh, what am I missing here? Oh my God, this guy's pretty good. Like the look on her face is like, wow, she's almost like moved by him and she's and then he gives her the picture and he he goes away like triumphantly and drives away and i'm thinking like after all this just like you said it all like everything she didn't even remember who he was he's sniffing her pillow stalking her you know he then he 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 ends up saying he's going to go to medical school to impress her and tries to impress her with money and then stalks her like you said and then they they wrap it up by trying to make him like um sympathetic or try to make him like and you know he's like the protagonist and and i thought that was just so bizarre which kind of leads into another thing is that this movie is absolutely devoid of likable characters 
Yeah, I agree. It's devoid of, and and, and that sh- that shocks me because that's one thing that you know Yancey and I in the past, not to keep bringing Yancey up, but whenever he and I were on the show, go back and forth. Man, are you in love with Yancey? Or what? <laughs> like, you should do a podcast with that guy. I should I should go and stalk him in the rain <laughs> and go fight him at a cabin in the woods and go and get him when he's there with his doctor friend. Um, yeah. So um, the thing that I used to always say in, in all the episodes of this show was how much I like these Gen X movies because they have relatable and likable characters, but this movie is devoid of them. As Especially from a male viewpoint, I you could argue that Leslie and Wendy are likable, and they at least have redeeming uh, qualities. They both do, um, but none of the male characters are likable in this movie. None of the male c- characters are even remotely um, good guys in any way. So uh, I agree, with the marginal exception of Andrew McCarthy's character. Uh, so this was part of probably the only one of the storylines that I actually was interested in at first, where they talk about how hey he's never made a he's never made a pass at Demi Moore's character, but everybody else has. He, they've never seen him with a woman, and they assume he's gay. Now, keeping in mind the movie was sorry, what year? Eighty five. Eighty five. Yeah. So I can understand that at the time you're going to tiptoe around this topic a little bit because it was a very different time. Uh, you know, in the life of, of gay people. And, you know, it wasn't uh, – people weren't as accepting as as they often are today. And so I thought that the movie was handling it in a, an interesting way that, uh, you know, unlike other movies – like I can remember the movie Mannequin, one of the characters is gay, uh, which also has Andrew McCarthy. Yes. And the character is totally treated for laughs. Or Revenge of the Nerds, the character is gay. And it's like, that's the funny part. Ha ha, this guy's gay. And then in this movie, I thought, hey – they're not treating this character that way. He's just one of their friends, and whether they realize he's gay or not, they, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not they're not holding it against him. They're not constantly talking about it with him. He's just one of the one of the people in their crew. And I thought, oh, this this is you know, I was actually impressed with all the other bad things going on. This is the one redeeming thing about this movie here. This is the one redeeming character who's who's struggling with this. And then it turns out that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> which, we which, actually had something to build on here. Yeah, which just to, to your point, I think it, I think like that might be a guy thing. And and I'll explain the, the, the fact that you, you watch this movie, you think, oh, well, he's gay. And, you know, he's in love with Alec. And I was, my wife said in the opening scene, he goes, she's, she's watching it when they're in the, the, the big apartment cooking dinner. My wife immediately, 10 minutes in the movie, she goes, he's in love with her. Like she knew right away. Like, so she picked up on that, you know, right away. So I don't know if that's more of a of a female thing to pick up on that. And we just kind of missed it, you know, or something like that. But even the fact that, yeah, you like you say, the way that they handle the gay storyline, but even his character, like he's miserable, you know, uh, you guys are everything's a marriage is a is a is a myth and all this stuff goes on. And then even when he does technically get the girl, the girl that he's been in love with the whole time, he gets to be with her. Then he goes overboard. He goes too far. He's, yeah. he's like clingy and, and, and then he, and he starts dominating her and telling her what to do. Hang up the phone. Don't talk to him. Don't do this. And it's just yeah. like, okay, great. He's like everybody else. He's completely unlikable too. The guys in this movie are absolutely horrific. They're just awful. Like, I mean, yeah. that whole thing. And it, let's just break them down. So you got Kevin, we just talked about, and then you got Kirby that we mentioned as well. He's just basically a psycho, right? Yeah. And, and, and you got Alec who is just like unbelievable. So, <laughs> Here's the thing, and I'm, I'm let me just I'm gonna stick a pin in this one. Come back, okay? So Alec jerk too. Billy is like lazy, sleeps with 
everybody like you know it's and the same thing with Alec the thing that gets me about this movie is that it's it's like it's okay that the guys screw around they all screw around but heaven forbid when one of the girls does it it's completely not acceptable I'll give you an example Billy screws everything that walks right that's Rob Lowe's character right screws everything but then he's even in the bar on stage playing the sax kissing Demi Moore right and he's flirting with girls in the front row. And then his wife walks in with some other guy. She just sits down. She's not doing anything. She's sitting there having a drink with the guy. And Billy stops the whole show and starts a fight. He's like, get away from my wife. Like, oh, so it's okay for him to sleep with every girl in town. But his wife goes out with another guy, you know, to the bar and he just loses it. Like, it's just, and Alec was the same way, right? Alec screws around, screws around. But as soon as his wife just goes to uh, Kevin McCarthy's character, just because she needed, she just needed somebody. She was vulnerable and, and she was in that situation. I'm not saying that uh, Kevin McCarthy's character took advantage of her in that situation. I don't think he did. But um, she just needed some companionship. It wasn't like she was just screwing around for the f- sake of it like Alec was. Yeah. And yeah. he freaks out and kicks her out and everything. Like, it's just so funny. It's almost this – the theme of masculinity in this movie is is just a, a, an interesting study from 30 years ago. Yeah, and, and you got to wonder at the time how many people watched this movie and went – these are examples of guys uh, that we should be emulating. Like often you look to, to things like movies and say, I want to be like that person I see on the screen. Like how many people watch this movie and went, oh, like you said, the, this this generation of actors represented people who were only a few years ahead of you as a young person. You, did you look at them and think, well, should I be taking my cues from them? Should I do what they do? Should I behave like they behave? Uh, and I unfortunately, I got to think a lot of people did. And, you know, that's that's. Uh, it's unfortunate. Well, yeah, uh, I, I will tell you this is that at, thinking back to at the time, none of it really struck me as being out of, you know. Yeah, it wasn't uh, problematic. Yeah, it wasn't problem like it is now. And and that might be, speak to my maturity at the time, you know, being, you know, a teenager. It, but I think it, it might speak to the, the times themselves of what it was like in 1985 and what, you know, male and female roles and how they've changed, you know, even since then. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be my well, yeah, I agree. And I think that, uh, you know, again, it's it's a reflection of the time. We talk about what, what holds up and doesn't hold up. Like the movie begins with uh, the aftermath of a fender bender. And it's, it's abundantly clear that Rob Lowe's character, Billy, uh, was driving this car drunk and got into some sort of an accident. Doesn't sound like anybody was seriously hurt, but they bring him to the hospital, check him out. And then it's like, OK, everyone's good. And you just go with your lives like, uh, you know, it, it's it's. Um, something that has clearly changed over time where if that happened to one of us these days and you had a, you know, you were caught drunk driving and you crashed into another car or something that caused some damage, uh, that'd be it. Like you'd have a criminal record. They'd take away your license. Like there's the stigma of doing it, but he doesn't even seem ashamed. I think they even make him reference to how he's done this before and everyone just, oh, well, you know, that's the way it is. That happens. That That's, that's cool. And it's just especially by today's standard. It was wrong then, but nobody called them on it. And uh, it certainly does not hold up. Yeah. And then, like I say, going back to the, the fact that it's dated, um, like I say, the, the, the clothes, there's the one scene where Demi Moore, where they go to the bar and Demi Moore's like got the long hair and it's all crimped. And I'm like, man, is that 1985 yeah. right there? And the clothing and even the music. But the thing is at the time, you know, if you go, you know, we go back 30 years, like the music was iconic at the time. And I, I don't use that term, you know, too lightly here. It was it was absolutely iconic. The um, the theme, um, Man in Motion, 
you know, that song Man in Motion that's in the sure movie. Do. Uh, yep. it, it hit number one on the charts. And it, the, the, the music from this movie was so popular that David Foster's instrumental, I think it's just called St. Elmo's Fire. I think it's called the love theme. Yeah, the love theme. It charted as well. It was like an an instrumental on the piano is like on the the billboard charts. Like that, like I I think you need to put things in perspective, just how how popular that the music was and even the movie to a lesser extent. I I mean, the movie was not a huge hit at the box office, you know, by any. You were mentioned the 1980 box office before. Cinema's Fire, you know, was not very popular at the the box office. And this is 85 when movies like Back to the Future and Rambo, you know, Rocky IV, like, you know, they were dominating everything, right? Goonies, he was out that year. So it wasn't a big box office success, but I think it was a cultural success. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're going with. And I'm glad you brought up the music because I was going to say the the thing I liked the most about this movie was the music, mainly for me because the music – I did experience in 1985, although I never saw the movie in 1985, the music was huge and I've always been a big music guy, especially like the top 40 pop music when I was younger, that was the thing. So yeah, watching the movie, you get the music right out of the gate and that put me in in a good headspace. And then I had to watch this movie and I'm just like, wow, you, you know, it's like uh, wrapping up some disgusting present in pretty paper. It's, it's, that's how it sort of felt watching it. It's like they kept playing this music that was great, but uh yeah, the movie less so. Yeah, no, like like I say, John Parr's song was like "Man in Motion" was so popular. The, the music was so popular that the instrumental, the saxophone instrumental that Billy plays in the bar, "One Love," was like even that was a popular song. And and wow. and, and David Foster, you know, he up until this point, you know, he was a producer, right? He was like a mega producer, right? And then <clears throat> this was the first time that you kind of like heard david foster's music itself you know like as as a, as a kind of a standalone type of thing and it was this it, i cannot under understate how important that this the music was from this movie this it was so popular that david foster a canadian by the way good good mm-hmm. canuck um it, this movie this movie's music was so popular that david foster was then uh commissioned to write the music for the 1988 uh winter olympics in in calgary and he actually wrote the theme for the, the the Olympics, because of the success that he had with this movie, you know. So, like I say, for a movie that it wasn't a huge box office success, it had an unbelievable amount of of impact in the culture. And the other way that it had the impact in the culture is going back to what you said earlier. It's very seminal. Like if you think, like there are some big, you know, eighties names in this. I mean, they even had a name for the cast. The people that were in this were known as the Brat Pack. And the thing is, I've seen a lot of the other movies featuring the Brat Pack that I enjoyed. Like I've I watched The Breakfast Club many times. Oh, I yeah. enjoyed that, and and other movies of the time. It's like, oh yeah, I've seen that. I liked it. I like this is sort of the one of the only big ones from that era that I had not seen, and I really came into it with higher expectation with with high expectations, and I do not feel the movie met them at all. Right, and like I say, the Brat Pack was a play on the Rat Pack, right? You know, from the from the fifties. But it was all these like, yeah, like these coming of age movies, like ma- namely the Breakfast Club and Saint Elmo's Fire. I think were probably the two big ones. And yeah. those those actors that appeared in both of those movies, like Emilio Estevez and Ali Sheedy and John Nelson, right, were kind of like uber Brat Packers, right? Because they were in both of those big movies. But I mean, like they, they, it was this movie was like quite influential, and and I and I do tend to think that it had influence on other movies. Another movie that kind of, I don't want to say spun off of this, but came out 
about a year later in 86 or 87, it came on. I can't remember exactly. And it was with uh, Demi Moore and Judd Nelson. And it was called About Last Night. Have you ever heard of that really small little movie? I've heard of it, but I have definitely never seen it. It was it like whereas this movie is like you know disturbing and like you know lots of things going on, unlikable characters. That movie is completely different, and it was actually really really good. It was actually really really good. And whereas here, Demi, Demi Moore, this is one of her first movies too, Saint Elmo's Fire. Like she she basically was playing herself in this movie. Like she would show up, you know, high. To a lot of the rehearsals and things like that, and like Joel Schumacher, the director, like made her get clean and stuff like that. Like it was, she was a mess, and so she basically was Jules. But in about last night, she just absolutely just owns that movie. Like it's it's one that you'll have to watch at some point. It's certainly I'd say it's a hundred times better than this movie. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, going back, like I said, the the the, the, the just the idea of you know the 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 the, the, the gender roles. I think are just intriguing to kind of take a look at, especially through the lens of, you know, 2019. It's like, like the guys dominate the, this movie, they get to do whatever they want. And really it's the females that kind of center the movie, at least while well, two of them anyway, Jules, she's, you know, a mess. Yeah. But like I said, Wendy and Leslie kind of ground the movie somewhat. And, and really when you strip it all away, the only really truly sort of innocent character in the whole movie is Wendy. Right. And, and, and yeah. so how do they portray her as like this homely girl that nobody wants to be with? Yeah, she's <laughs> oh, a virgin. You know? Yeah, she seems like almost like a, a, a weaker character on, on screen. Like she she's struggling. She's trying to be an independent woman. She's trying to be an independent 80s woman. She's trying to make it on her own, despite the fact that her family clearly has money. She's got a job where she gets to help people who are less fortunate than her. And it seems like that she's getting very little uh, reciprocation from the people she's actually trying to help. And it, it almost seems like she's a punchline through the movie. Like, why are you why are you wasting your time on this? Why don't you just get married? Or you can have this career until you get married and have kids, which is a very um, old school idea. Even in the 80s, it was like, OK, well, is this really the, the only – path that a woman can take and clearly by the 80s no that absolutely is not the only path a woman can take uh yet that was uh you know the role that she, that her character had and and the other characters although they never actually came right out and, and made fun of her for doing it, it you certainly got the sense of them uh silently judging her in a way that was like yeah you know maybe that's sort of your best option um you know it's uh I don't know. It just, yeah. And there was really, I, I'm trying to find something to latch onto in this movie that I could say, well, at least there was this. And the music, the, the music. music. Yeah. The music. That was, that was, was really it. There, uh, there was really nothing else in this that I went, you know, this was great. Um, uh, one other quick thing I want to mention is the movie assumes, uh, again, I assumed anyway, watching the movie that the characters were very recent college graduates. Like yeah. it seems to me they'd only been in school like maybe a year. Yeah, maybe even less than a year. Because yeah. at one point, um, uh, Rob Lowe's character, Billy, goes back to the campus yep. and the students in the fraternity, they all know him. Yes. So it's like, these are obviously guys who were in the frat the year before because I assume your student's going to be in a fraternity a couple mm -hmm. years during the course of their tenure. Um so I think one of the things that was dated to me, and again, it's of the time, is the fact that people were able to go to school, graduate, and get a job right out of school. And in today's day and age, that is not nearly the case. 
uh, or at least not to the level uh, that some of them had jobs. Like um, Judd Nelson's character clearly had – he was working for what, a senator? Um, yeah, he was he was working for a, a Democratic congressman and then yeah. moved on to a Republican senator. Yeah. So again, I, I think it was again of the time where not a lot of people went to college. Like in the early 80s, everyone from your high school didn't go to college. Like today, if I went back to the high school where I went, I'll bet you 95 percent of the graduating class – went on to a college or university and had no consideration of doing anything else. Um, but I think in the early 80s, that probably wasn't the case. So the fact that these students, these these characters were all students at a university or a college sort of gave them that leg up. So maybe that's why they were able to get these jobs right out of school. Um, but that to me was definitely a, a dated concept that was clearly of the time and was probably accurate for the time. But if you remade this movie today and you said, oh, yeah, these seven friends, they all graduated in the last 12 months. and They've all got jobs. Pfft, no one would believe that. And how did, did Judd Nelson and um, and Ali Sheedy's characters afford that massive apartment? Like it was huge. It was like this unbelievable <laughs> studio apartment. And like I was like, how did the hell did they afford that? Like that's that was crazy. Um, well, another thing that stood out to me, too, was, just, you know, not to keep harping on all the bad things in the movie, but the movie's not good. Um the scene when Rob Lowe and Demi Moore are in the in her truck and, and she's going to drop him off at home. Yes. And he basically sexually assaults, assaults her. her. Like, and, and, and the thing that got me about that was like, you know, it 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 was disturbing because it wasn't even played. I, I think I think what was disturbing was even my take on it, because I don't remember that scene being quite like that. I remember him more like he was kidding around. And as I watched it, I'm like, that scene was not played for kidding around at all. He was serious. And he just the, the things he said to her and the way he forced himself on her was it was not good. Like it was it was quite disturbing. And his character just gets away with it. And then the, the way that the director does it is then she pulls away and his wife closes the door and turns the light off and he's left there alone almost. And then the music comes in like you're supposed to sympathize with him. You're supposed to feel yeah. sorry for him because she drove away and then his wife won't let him in the house. Like it's like, oh, this poor guy, he's left out in the alley. Like what? Like it's just it. the whole approach to the theme of masculinity is just it's unbelievable and you know when you think about um joel schumacher he made some pretty crappy movies you know over the course of his career you know i mean think of batman and robin and you know even you know batman forever this might be one of those he made a couple of good ones uh tigerland with uh was excellent and phone booth was excellent yeah phone booth is all right you know but i mean i i this this could be one of his i would say his best movie uh was uh actually uh dc cap but i mean that's just <laughs> that's just me Chris, I love it's it. funny you bring that up <laughs> I, li- I actually like that that movie bombed and i like it i have been waiting for that movie to show up on these old old channels oh, for yeah. a year because for some reason it popped into my mind uh, like about a year ago i thought oh i sort of remember that from a kid seeing it on video and i've been wa- waiting to see it show up on the list it's funny you bring that up. And blink and you miss him. Well, not really. He's in a bit. It's Bill Maher. Remember Bill Maher playing with the keyboard? He's got the keyboard. And Marshall Wallace from uh, Night Court. Remember remember that Night Court went through a whole bunch of different uh, characters with Selma and somebody and Marsha. And, 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 and Marshall Wallace is in that. She's a lot thinner. Um, Mr. T. And, of course, Irene Cara. I don't know. DC Cab, man. Ugh. An underappreciated film, so one of his best. We'll, we'll find a copy of it and do it on a future podcast. Oh, that'd be great! I would love to do. A, I would love to do a full length commentary of DC Cab. That would be awesome. We'll but get together uh, and have a few beverages and do that. That sounds good. Any chance this movie? Okay, so here's the thing. You know, Hollywood has so few 
you know, original ideas these days. Everything's getting remade. And I just mentioned about last night, not that long ago, and they remade that movie. And it just, oh, it irked me because the whole point of About Last Night, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but the whole point of that movie, About Last Night, is it's based on a, uh, a David Mamet play called Sexual Perversity in Chicago. It needs to take place in Chicago. Chicago is actually one of the characters in the play and then in the movie itself. And they Hollywood went and remade it a couple of years ago. Oh, but you know what? It's called About Last Night, but it doesn't take place in Chicago. It takes place in L.A. And it's with black people. And it's like this. It's like, wait, that's just a different movie. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to remake Star Wars. But instead of it taking place in space, it's going to take place under the water. And instead of, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, there's a Death Star. Instead of that, you know, there's just this, you know, cockroach that you got to go step on. It's like, well, that's a different movie. Like, it's just the stupidest thing ever. But anyway, my point is, any chance this movie ever gets uh, remade? What do you think? Uh, okay, let me ask you this. Yep. If they remake it, do they remake it as an 80s movie? Or do they remake it and set it today? Oh, that's a good question. No, I think I, I think that they would remake it and set it in today's world. That's the whole point of remaking it, isn't it? I would I would think, uh, I, yeah. Um, so then, would they remake it? I mean, if someone's going to fund it and they think there's money to be made, sure. But I don't think they should. I think that as we've discussed for the last 45 minutes here, there are not a lot of redeeming qualities to this movie that would stand up under today's scrutiny, unless that's the point, unless they want to make this movie to find, you know, these four or five despicable characters and demonstrate how (laughs) behavior that might've been deemed acceptable 25 years ago, 30 years ago is no longer acceptable today. That I think would be the only way you could make this work in today's in today's movies and you would have to absolutely hang those characters out to dry like there's no way they're going to be able to do this stuff and then you pull it back and go yeah but deep down they're all great guys it's like no they're doing any of this stuff none of them are great guys no they all deserve punishment and there should be no bones about what's coming to them none of them should get away with it none of them should be given the oh boys will be boys it's a product of its time they didn't know better no The activities we saw the men do in this movie are despicable. The things they do to women, the things that, yeah, no, just not, not. And it shouldn't, I agree with you. And it shouldn't even take the Me Too movement to like bring this to the forefront. These, these characters are, I thought you, you hit the nail on the head. I was chuckling because you said these are like despicable characters. I would go so far as to say they are the seven most unlikable characters maybe in the history of movie making. And the thing is, if you're thinking I'm being too rough on this movie, you got to realize I actually liked this movie at the time. Like, I really, really did. And if you think I'm just being too rough or using a lot of hyperbole, I challenge you to do this. Go back and watch the movie. If you haven't seen the movie in 30 years, like I have, and you have memory, like maybe even fond memories of it, go back and watch St. Elmo's Fire, because I think you might be a little bit surprised, because I'll tell you what, I sure was. Anyway, on that note, what do you say we have some fun with Caveman? Derek, usually I kind of take the reins. And I kind of lead things here and, you know, ask you trivia questions or make us play a game or something like that. Uh, this week, uh, this week, I've kind of bounced things over to you. So uh, what do you got for us? Well, since this, although I suggested this movie, we're going to call this one of Chris's picks. So usually when sure. I you pick the movie, yep. Yep. the other guy does the trivia. And sure. the whole thing is you're supposed to know this movie pretty well. So I want to try and find some trivia to, to stump you. And as I'm Yancey sure often discovered when he did this, you answer half the trivia questions before the trivia part of the show. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, 
I knew we would go down that road and you would answer all the trivia questions. So I decided to take a slightly different left turn for you. So Emilio Estevez is okay. uh, one of the main characters of this movie. Yes. He has uh, been a part of uh, the Hollywood Society for a long time. He's got famous pedigree. His father, Martin Sheen, is a well-known and I'd like to say well-respected actor. You're going to see him in the West Wing. If you, Well, I guess he's appeared in the first episode, so you'll see him. Um, and Emilio Estevez has a famous brother, Charlie Sheen. Yes, uh, and yes. in some cases, they have even made some movies together. So yeah. I got a couple questions for you. I'm going to give you a list of movies. Okay. Some of them star Emilio Estevez. Mm -hmm. Some of them star... Charlie Sheen, and in some of them, both of the brothers appear together. Okay, <laughs> yep. So all I want you to tell me as I go down the list is which of the brothers appeared in the movie? Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, or both? Or both. Okay, that but sounds fun. Yep. Before we get there, yep. I wanted to ask you this. Do you know which of the two brothers is older? I will say Emilio Estevez is older. You are right. Ooh. Emilio Estevez is three years older. He was born in 1962. Charlie right. was born in 1965. And Emilio Estevez, I was saying this because we just watched The West Wing and uh, Martin Sheen is obviously on that in the second episode. I was saying to my wife uh, last night when we were watching St. Elmo's Fire, I was like, man, oh, man, Emilio Estevez really looks like his old man. Holy smokes, he's just a spitting image of his old man. Like, it's just yep. unbelievable. But uh, anyway, so that being said, right, so, uh, although that being said, so Emilio Estevez yes. is older, but Charlie Sheen has way more mileage. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, so I'm going to run down the list, yeah. and then we're completed the whole list. I have a couple of very quick follow-up questions sure, for you. Sure, sure, of but, course. Lay uh, but I'm going to run down the list. So you're going to name okay. the movie, and i got to tell you if – one is yep. in it or if both is in it, correct? Yeah, I tried to I tried to stick to movies that were pretty well known, but there's a couple that are a little less well known okay. uh, that might just stump you and you'll have to guess. Sounds so, good. Go uh, I've got a list. There's about 15 movies on the list here. So we'll just run through them quick. You tell me which of the brothers. I've got them in chronological order, the order they came out, starting with The Outsiders in 1983. Uh, the Outsiders would have been um, – uh, that was Charlie Sheen, wasn't it? No, it was not. Oh, jeez. All right, 1984, Red Dawn. Oh, that was definitely Charlie Sheen. Yes, that's right. Yeah. All right, 1984 as well, Repo Man. Oh, well, that, Emilio Estevez was definitely in it, but I don't think they were both in it. So I'm just going to say just Emilio Estevez alone. That's correct. 1986, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, that's Charlie Sheen only. Yeah. 1986, Wisdom. Oh, oh, is that both of them? That's Emilio Estevez for sure. It's a small movie. I'm going to say just, uh, I think it was just Emilio Estevez. It was him and Demi Moore, wasn't it? I think, I think it was just Emilio It Emilio definitely Estevez. was him and Demi Moore, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, however, Charlie Sheen was in it. Oh, he was. Well. Oh, jeez. Yep. Okay. So, so you got half points on that one. There we go. 1987, one of my personal uh, guilty pleasure movies, No Man's Land. Oh, that's Charlie Sheen only. That is Charlie Sheen. Yeah. That's the one where they steal Porsches. Yeah. I love that yeah. movie. All right. 1987, Stakeout. Uh, that is only Emilio Estevez. That's right. Nice. Here we go. We're going to get into some sports movies now. Okay. 1988, Eight Men Out. Uh, that is Charlie Sheen only. Correct. Uh, 1989, Major League. Uh, that is only Charlie Sheen. Uh, also in 1988, Young Guns. 
That was just Emilio Estevez. No, it was not just Emilio Estevez. Really? Charlie is in that too, but he does get killed off fairly early in the movie. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, 1990, Men at Work. That's both of them. That is both. Yes. yes. Hot Shots. Oh, that's just Charlie Sheen. Yes. So Hot Shots was... When, if you remember around that early 90s, there was this whole series of like spoof movies oh, that yeah. started Air- coming out and Hot Shots was certainly one of the first because, ones. Because um, Airplane had come out in 1980 and a number of years later, they came out with um, The Naked Gun on the files of this police squad. And yes. Naked Gun was such a hit. There was all these like, it spawned all these ones and, and one of the biggest ones was Hot Shots. I remember that. Yep, for Hot sure. Shots Part 2. Yep. Yep, exactly. Okay, uh, we only got a few left. Yep. 1992, The Mighty Ducks, another sports movie. Oh, that was just Emilio Estevez. That's correct. All right, another spoof movie, Loaded Weapon 1. Um, That's just Charlie Sheen. No, that's both of them. Oh, jeez. Emilio oh. Estevez is actually the lead in that one, and Charlie Sheen had a small part. Oh, man. All right, the last two on the list. 1996, yep. Mission Impossible. I want to... Can I say neither? I don't think either one was in it, so I'll just flip a coin and say Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez was in it. He dies in like the first 10 minutes. I was going to say, I I don't know. Okay. Yeah. And the last one on the list from 2006, Bobby. Biopic on Bobby Kennedy. Oh, I think that's got to be... Emilio Estevez is definitely in it, but I don't think they both were, so I will just say Emilio Estevez only. Okay, you did pretty good. You not got bad, those. not bad. Oh, yeah, uh, great. Okay, so now, yep. all of the movies on this list, okay. three of them mm-hmm. were written and directed by Emilio Estevez. Can you name two of the three? That he actually directed? Wrote and directed. Um, I want to say I. it feels like a vanity project, so I got to go with Bobby. Absolutely, yes. And I want to say Men at Work. Yes, you got two out of the three. You, can you guess a third? Uh, I have no idea. No idea. Can I just so I just guess? I'll, I'll guess Repo Man. I know it's not true. Not, not Repo yeah. Man. Uh, wiz- wisdom. Oh, okay. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I got two out of three. Not too bad. You did get two out of three. That was, yeah. I was going to give it one, but I'm like, Bobby, I figured you would get. Uh, by the way, have you seen the movie, Bobby? Mm-mm. I, re- no. I saw this at its uh, Canadian premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, and it right. came out in 2006. Yeah, see, it's 2006. Uh, it's past my time. I haven't yeah, seen anything past 80, it, it 89. It was quite good. I mean, it was slow, uh, but the idea is it happens, if I remember correctly, it's the day that Bobby Kennedy gets assassinated, right. and it follows a story of, like, 20 people and sort of what were they doing and where were they when it happened. And it absolutely was a vanity project from Emilio Estevez. He'd been apparently working on the script forever and ever and ever. And, uh, a lot of very famous people have very small parts in this movie. But it, if you're at all interested in this kind of a story, the, the Kennedy story, um, it is, it is quite good. I mean, I haven't seen it since 2006, but I do remember, uh, really enjoying it when I saw it the first time around. So total, I'm just going to go off on a tangent here. I just, I just something I remember. Uh, I should have mentioned this at the top of the show. Something that, that came to my attention just this week. I heard, and we were and just. It was triggered by when we were talking about Hollywood kind of remaking and doing all of these things again. I heard that they are going to make a sequel to Coming to America. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if it's true. I saw some ripplings of that. Uh, I, I really think it don't is know true. where you can where you can go with this. Like the whole thing was the fish out of water story. Well, at by the end, it was resolved. 
So what is it? Coming he, to America, the next generation? Exactly. He went back to Zamunda and he took, you know, her with him and that was it. She became the princess. I agree with you. I, again, it just goes back to what I said earlier. I hate the idea of Hollywood not having any new ideas and just rehashing all this old stuff. And I'm sure Eddie Murphy is going to be in it. I'm sure. Like, obviously, they're going to have to come back to America. Right, that's the whole idea. Hall, though, he's pretty busy these days. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think he's, I think he's like pumping gas out in New Jersey somewhere or something (laughs) like that. So yeah, he's going to be pretty busy. Uh, If he can free up his schedule, he'll be able to uh, to start that. Obviously, like I say, they're going to come back to America. But yeah, you're right. The whole thing was the fish out of water story, what made it so funny, and the fact that he's already been to America and kind of knows it a little bit. yeah, and I, and and all these years later, now he has the internet, so now he can tell what's going on. I just just let it go. Come up with something new, something fresh. I think uh, I think the, the and I love that, that movie. TV. I love the original movie. I absolutely love Coming to America. So you would think you would think on its surface that I'd be over the moon that they're going to make a sequel, but I do not want to see it. It's like Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers, I loved, and when they made the sequel in Blues Brothers two thousand, I was just furious that they made this. It's just terrible, but. Sorry. I think the only way that the new coming to America might have any chance of of being successful, they would, I think, have to have it as the female character coming to America and give it sort of that the, the woman's point of view as opposed to uh, when Eddie Murphy was coming in as the male point of view. I think that's sort of the – you would have to make that change to refresh the movie because you could explore different angles that the original movie never could if the gender of the, the royal who comes to America is different. I think that would – open up a lot of possibilities but then but then it goes back to what i said before then call it something else like it's that's a different movie then don't call it coming to america call it something else and this idea of i get it and and especially kind of ties into everything that we talked about tonight you know with you know with saint almost fire being you know such just an atrocious you know horrendous view of masculinity that you know i yeah it's a good idea to take a look at from the female point of view but it doesn't mean we got to remake movies and put females in them like how'd that work out for ghostbusters did you watch that ghostbusters remake with the females in it yeah, we went and saw it in the theater. What were your thoughts on it? I didn't watch it. I'm. I it was no, okay. I, I mean, no it definitely had some really funny parts. Chris Helmsworth's character was hilarious. It was everything. I don't know. Did you watch it? Have no. you seen it yet? I have no so desire to watch it. The the idea is that his character is just this really stupid, really beautiful guy who answers the phones in their new Ghostbusters office. And it was hysterical because if you had had a woman in that part, it would be so wrong and for years, you did have a woman in that part, and people laughed at it when they really shouldn't have. And now they basically said, you know what? Let's just acknowledge how big a problem this was, switch the gender of this this objectified character, and show you, in this case, the, how, how funny it actually is with this male character in it. And, and that just – he stole all the scenes he was in. There were a lot of great scenes, but I think the overall story arc was uh, lacking in many ways. Um, so just you just kind of triggered something in, in, in my memory there when you were mentioning you know this guy's beautiful or whatever. Uh, speaking of of beautiful, um, the one one thing that stood out to me again going back and watching Saint Elmo's Fire last night, I don't think there's been a, a more beautiful human being on the planet than Andy McDowell, and and she nothing re- like she just kind of. She's not working anymore, like all that much. Like you don't really see her a lot anymore, right? And I don't know. Was it just a lack of talent that you think that she just didn't really carry on? I mean, she she basically kind of sort of 
ushered in the whole independent movie thing with sex lies and videotapes. So there was that, but then she just kind of faded away after that. And, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I never uh, was never a huge fan of her work. I mean, I don't dislike her, but at the same point, I'm not going to see a movie because it's starring Andy McDowell. Right. No, I, I guess, you know, Groundhog Day, there was that too. But but like I say, recently, you know, she doesn't do a whole lot. But anyway, um, so so it is what it is. Anyway, so uh, next week, uh, we're going to come back with a different movie. So do you, do you have something in mind? Yeah, well, I narrowed down a short list and I figured uh, during our conversation, something would put me in the mood for one over the other. And given how we both sort of had some negative thoughts about this one. I figure we need something a little more upbeat. So I've decided to go with the 1999 comedy office space. Oh, good. And the I've funny, never seen it. I have never seen it. I have never seen this movie, believe okay. it or not. So it, 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 it came out after 89. So of course I haven't seen it, yeah. but I've heard lots of things about it, but it's kind of a small movie. Is this kind of like a cult movie? It's not a huge hit or anything, right? I think cult movie is a good way to describe it. it. So it's written and directed by Mike Judge, who people, uh, if you don't know who that is, he was the creator of Beavis and Butthead. He was also the creator of the long-running animated show King of the Hill. Um, and he, he's done some other movies, hits and misses along the way. Uh, Office Space is one of these ones that didn't do great in the theater when it came out. It probably had limited release, but when it was released on video, it took off like gangbusters. And uh, it's a definitely, I would call it a cult hit. Um one of the things that I loved about this movie is that the, the main characters work in a bank and I started working in a bank the, the year after this movie came out. So I, I could really relate to it on a lot of levels. Uh, Chris, I know you don't work at a bank, but I think a lot of the humor stems from just office culture in general. And I think that uh, a lot of the, the humor really holds up, even though it's now 20 years old. So 1999 Office Space by Mike Judge. Give it a watch between this week and next. And I, we'll I shall. And I, chat about it. I shall watch it. The only thing I'll say going into it, and I'm not going to take any sort of prejudice into the film, is that you mentioned it's done by Mike Judge, who did King of the Hill. I didn't, I never liked King of the Hill. I, I just, I don't know. Didn't like that show. The thing that got me about that show was I was like, why is it animated? There's no reason for that show to be animated. It could have just been live action. Most animated shows are animated for a reason. Because, you know, they, they're just doing certain things and that, that just can't be done in live action. I don't, I have no idea why King of the Hill was an animated show and I never ever liked it at the time. But uh, that being said, I'm not going to take that prejudice in. I'm going to go in with an open mind. Honestly, I will. I've heard some good, quite a few good things about uh, Office Spice as a uh, cult film. So I will watch it. We will come back next week and we will review it. So, so we'll do that. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Well, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at C McBrien. That's me at Amaron underscore DM. That's Derek. Popgoesyourworld.com for all of our contact information. And if you listen to the show or download on iTunes, take a minute, leave a review for the show. We'd obviously really appreciate that. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 